Welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold. The confusion stops here. Good to have you along with us. Uh, last week, we started an exploration of the eight Beatitudes and how they constitute a biblical guide to holiness, which is, in fact, the key to happiness in this life uh, as well as in the next. And the Beatitudes, of course, the beginning of the famous Sermon on the Mount. And so far, we've looked at the first four Beatitudes later on in today's program. We will proceed to the 5th through 8th Beatitudes. Also later on, we're going to look at uh, some activist calls for tearing down images of Our Lord and Our Lady because they are symbols of racism and white supremacy. (laughs) But first, um, Matthew 5, uh, as we mentioned last week, includes not only the Beatitudes, but it reveals Jesus' teaching on a whole host of subjects, the Law of Moses, Uh, anger, adultery, divorce, divorce, his teaching on vows, and what I would like to talk about now, which is his teaching on revenge and love of our enemies. I think it's an important topic, especially in light of the, uh, the current situation in our country. And so with all that in mind, Jesus said to the people, and that includes you and that includes me, in Matthew 5, 38 through 48, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no one resistance or offer no resistance to one who is evil. When someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him as well. If someone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand him your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go with him for two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father. For he makes his son to rise on the bad and the good and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what recompense will you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what is unusual about that? Do not the pagans do the same? So be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the words of the Holy Gospel. Now, throughout the teachings in this chapter, Jesus uses that formula. You have heard it said, and then, but I say to you, and it causes some to think that he's contradicting, contradicting probably, pardon me, the laws of the Old Covenant. So I'm having a Joe Biden moment here with my, I'm sorry, I have rented lips. Let me start again. <laughs> Using that formula, you have heard it said um, on the one hand, but I say to you on the other, that uh, Jesus is somehow contradicting the laws of the Old Covenant. Uh, I suspect you've heard people say that, uh, you know, there's a, they're trying to contrast the wrathful and vengeful God of the Old Testament with the loving and merciful God of the New Testament. But this is a false comparison. Uh, There are many uh, examples of mercy in justice in the Old Testament. For example, Leviticus 19.18 says not to seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone, but love your neighbor as yourself. Proverbs 25.21 and 22 says if your enemies are hungry or thirsty, give them food to eat. 
and water to drink, and in that way you will heap burning coals on their head, which is to say that you will make them ashamed of uh, the harm that they've done to you when you return kindness. And in any case, it says the Lord will reward you. And then we have Lamentations 3, verses 30 and 31, that says, Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them and accept the insults of their enemies, for no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. So you can see that these things that Jesus was saying would not or should not have been foreign concepts to the Jews of his day. The problem is that what God had designed as a system of justice and mercy in the Old Covenant had become distorted over the centuries into a license for revenge. And it was this misapplication that Jesus was addressing. As he says himself in the same chapter, Matthew 5, verse 17, Do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And just like the Jews in Jesus' day, I think we tend to consider ourselves to be in pretty good shape simply because we avoid the extremes of sin. And yet we regularly commit the kind of sins that Jesus seems to be the most concerned about. Uh, And Matthew 5 addresses these extreme examples, you have heard it said, right? And then exposes our real struggle with sin in our life. So uh, murder, for example. Jesus says it's not enough to avoid killing. We must avoid anger and hatred. It's not enough to avoid uh, adultery. We must also keep our hearts free from lust and be faithful. It doesn't matter that the state permits divorce because we must follow a higher law and live out our marriage vows. So when Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he's not doing away with the law. Uh, Rather, he's giving us a fuller understanding of why God made the law in the first place. And now onto the passage I just read about revenge and love of enemies. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. When someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him as well. See, God's original purpose behind an eye for an eye was actually an expression of mercy. See, the law was given to, to judge. And it said, you know, and, and to judges in order that they could judge. And, and in effect, it says, you know, make sure the punishment fits the crime. It was not a justification for personal revenge. The laws uh, in Exodus and then the, uh, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they, weren't, they were given to limit vengeance. They were given to help judges administer uh, punishments that were not too strict or too lenient. But some had come to use like the eye for an eye verse to justify acts of revenge. The same way people today excuse their vengeful behavior by saying, uh, I was just doing to him what he did to me. If I don't have a right to revenge, who does? And of course, our Lord is saying, well, nobody. And when we are wronged, It is uh, our first reaction to want to get even. I think you see a lot of this on social media. And it's perfectly natural. But Jesus says we should do good to those who hurt us. That our desire should not be to even the score, but to love and to forgive. And this, of course, is not natural. It is, on the contrary, supernatural. And only God can give us the strength to love as he does instead of plotting our revenge and to pray for those who have assaulted and offended us. Now, we've seen that the principle of turn the other cheek goes back to the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. But to many in Jesus' own day, this concept was um, offensive. 
you know, they would say, oh, a so-called Messiah who wants to turn the other cheek. Well, that doesn't fit in with their desire for a conquering hero who is going to come and forcefully, you know, expel the Romans, violently throw off the, the yoke of the empire. They hated the Romans. They wanted retaliation. But what Jesus offers instead is this, you know, radically different response to injustice. Instead of demanding your rights, he says, give them up freely. You know, and this makes sense of the following verses. You know, Roman garrisons in first century Palestine had the right to requisition property or uh, services from the native population, but only to a certain extent. But Jesus says, okay, if they demand your tunic, then hand them your cloak as well. Or if someone should press you into service for one mile, go with him for two miles. See, according to Jesus, it's more important to give mercy than it is to receive it. And by telling us not to retaliate, he keeps us from taking the law into our own hands by fighting fire with fire, so to speak. It's by loving and praying for our enemies that we can overcome evil with good. He said, you've heard it said, you shall love your enemy or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And of course, Leviticus 19.18, we've already seen, it doesn't actually say that. It doesn't say hate your enemies, but love your neighbors. And the Pharisees interpreted this to mean that we only need to love those who love us in return. But Jesus says we are not to hate our enemies, but to love our enemies. And as I've often said, um, the theological virtue of love is not some warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not some emotional affection. The spiritual faculty of love is an act of the will. And that's why Jesus doesn't ask us to like our enemies, because we'd be in a world of trouble, uh, you know, because that's a feeling. Rather, he says to love them, because to love is to consciously will the good of the other. And you can do that for anyone. That's how we love our enemies. And treating your enemies well and praying for them is actually hard evidence that you are participating in the kingdom of God, that you are, um, that the Lord is uh, really the Lord of your life right here and now. But that means giving yourself over to his grace because only he can deliver us from our natural selfishness. And that's why it's so essential to stay in a state of grace because we need the Holy Spirit's help to show love uh, to those for whom we do not feel love. You know, Jesus says, what good is it to love only those who, who love you? Be perfect, he says, as the Heavenly Father is perfect. He, he makes his son rise on the bad and the good, causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. In other words, God treats everybody the same, and so should we. And that's the fruit of holiness. You know, like the Pharisees, we should separate ourselves from the sinful values of the world. But Catholics are meant to be devoted uh, to God's desires rather than their own, and unlike the Pharisees, to carry his love and mercy into the world. Christ calls his faithful to rise above mediocrity and to imitate him. Like St. John writes in his first epistle, Friends, we are now God's children, but it is not yet clear what we shall become. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he really is. This hope makes us keep ourselves holy, just as Christ is holy. That's 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. So those who strive for Christian perfection will one day be perfect, as Christ is perfect, <laughs> even if that only happens through the fires of purgatory. And that is no nonsense. Okay, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the Beatitudes, a biblical guide to happiness and holiness, part two as No Nonsense Catholic continues right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
Hi, this is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show, also from Jesus 911. Let's face it, we all need to use the internet, but we need screen accountability. Why? Pornography is a huge problem, especially on the internet. And every time we tap into the internet, we get bombarded with images and temptations that degrade our humanity. So we need Covenant Eye to block these pornographic sites and advertisements from infiltrating our lives. Covenant Eyes helps us take custody of our eyes and custody of our intellect. So I recommend you go to CovenantEyes.com and type in the promo code VMPR to support the network. Protect yourself and your family from the eminent threats on the internet. www.CovenantEyes.com Code VMPR Live Porn Free. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you. God bless you. Keep the faith. Leviticus 11.44 says, Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. St. Vincent Pilati said, You must be holy in the way God asks you to be holy. God does not ask you to be a Trappist monk or a hermit. He wants you to sanctify the world and your everyday life. May God show us the path to holiness and help us to follow it all the days of our life. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877 877- Five four three three eight seven one because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back. Uh, No-Nonsense Catholic, your internet home for Keep It Simple Catholicism. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio, talking about the Beatitudes, uh, Biblical Guide to Happiness and Holiness, Part 2. Just to recap, Jesus uh, begins his Sermon on the Mount with words that seem to contradict each other. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the persecuted. You know, as I'm always reminded of what Scott Hahn said, with blessings like these, who needs curses? But, of course, he's talking about a superficial look at the Beatitudes because our Lord's words are not contradictory. It's rather that, that living God's way contradicts the world. And the Beatitudes are the ways by which we can live a good Christian life and avoid the false teaching of the world. Uh, the Beatitudes announce happiness for those who choose to love and to serve God. In fact, Uh, Some modern translations of the Bible actually replace the word blessed with happy. Uh, That is, happy are the poor in spirit, happy are those who mourn, etc. And it seems even more paradoxical. But, you know, blessed means more than happy. It implies the state of grace, right? The the state of those who are in the kingdom of God here and now, who have the, the life of the Trinity residing in their soul. The Beatitudes don't promise... plenty, right, or pleasure, uh, prosperity. Rather, being blessed by God is to experience hope and joy 
and peace regardless of our circumstances. And hope and joy and peace, these are the deepest forms of happiness. And they're found precisely by following Jesus, by loving and serving God, which is another way of saying by growing in holiness or through the process of sanctification. You know, as a Catholic Christian, you must be ready to do and say things that seem like foolishness to the world, uh, to give when others take and to love when others hate, to help when others abuse and to look more to your responsibilities than to your rights. Because by giving up having your own way uh, in order to love God and serve God and to serve others, you receive all the blessings that God has promised for those who love him. And we can be happy and holy and pleasing to God if we live according to the Beatitudes, which Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's no nonsense. So once again, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we went through the first four Beatitudes last week, so we pick up now with the fifth Beatitude, which is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus came uh, to earth to show us God's mercy by giving his life on the cross to take away our sins and to open the way to eternal life. He said to Nicodemus, famously, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those who believe in him might not perish but might have eternal life. In this beatitude, he teaches us likewise to be kind and merciful to each other. He said, As often as you did it for the least of my brothers, you did it for me. Now, what does that tell you? Well, Jesus wants us to show mercy. Uh, I am a sinner because I have often offended God. As a convert, I think I feel that most keenly because I know what it is like to live for years and years without access to his grace, to live apart from God. And yet he has shown his mercy to me, first through baptism and then especially over the last 20-some-odd years, in the sacrament of penance. And when we pray each day asking for God's mercy, we should also ask for his help to be merciful to others, to forgive when they offend us. We talked about forgiveness a lot over the course of my tenure on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. But we need to remember that... uh, um, We pray for the grace to be merciful to others so that we can be uh, forgiven by God when we offend him, right? Jesus taught us to pray in the Our Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now that is a plea to be given the grace to show mercy in the same measure that we would like to receive mercy. In the act of love, we declare, I forgive all who have injured me and ask pardon of all whom I have injured. That is the key to receiving God's forgiveness. The sixth beatitude. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. Now, in this beatitude, Jesus teaches us that only those who are pure of heart will see God in heaven. 
It's only by his grace that I can keep my heart clean from sin. Only he can give me the help I need to, to keep away from what's evil so that my soul can be pleasing to him and I can remain in his friendship. Now, this beatitude is uh, particularly the, uh, the antidote for lust, which is a sin that so completely engulfs our society, especially through media and, of course, most especially through pornography. When I was doing research some time back for my uh, RCIA classes, I read that the average kid today, because since the introduction of the smartphone, the average kid today first encounters hardcore pornography at the age of 11. And it was not always so. I mean, within living memory, I can remember when I was 11 years old, my access to pornography was precisely I had no access to pornography. <laughs> you know? I, I, it's just, it simply wasn't avail, available to me. But it is so prevalent now. And I will say that the ill effects of lust and pornography on our society, that's the real pandemic in the West. And it leads to so much that, that destroys people's lives. So how can we be victorious over this deadly sin? Well, first off, by practicing the opposing virtue, the virtue of chastity, uh, to make good use of the sacrament of penance, and especially to remain in a state of grace so that we can be well disposed to receive communion frequently. And to that end, we should pray often throughout the day that we can be pure of heart and be worthy to see God in heaven. Because the point is that Jesus wants us to be holy. And I know that there's lots of people that I've known over the years, they wring their hands, they're very anxious about um, being able to discern the will of God for their life. And I submit to you, that his will for your life is not an inscrutable mystery. You know, people get caught up in their, in their particular circumstances, but St. Paul tells us in uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 3, this is the will of God, your holiness, that you refrain from immorality. Now, another translation, the old Dewey uses the more technical term, uh, sanctification which is the process of becoming holy. It says you should abstain from immorality. But again, this is still a euphemism because St. Paul has a particular kind of immorality in mind. And so I, I, I give the prize to the contemporary English version, not my favorite by any means, but it makes this explicit and renders the verse, God wants you to be holy, so don't be immoral in matters of sex. So there it is. Jesus wants you to be single-hearted clean of heart, pure of heart, by seeking God in everything you do, by doing all for the love of him, to ask for the grace of God with all your heart and soul, to love others for his sake. Remember, Jesus said to the apostles or, and to the disciples, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. You will live in my love if you keep my commandments, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and live in his love. We live in the love of Jesus by doing his holy will. It is as simple as that. And that's why I have done so much to stress to my students and listeners, uh, readers and so on, that um, the importance of the morning offering. That you offer your day and everything that happens that day to God. Oh my God, I offer you this day all I shall do or think or say. 
uniting it with what was done on earth by Jesus Christ, thy son. Everything can be offered to God. Everything you do, everything you think, all your joys, all your sufferings, and the union with the sacred heart of Jesus, whatever your morning offering, uh, however it puts it, that everything you do can be a prayer. And you should renew it throughout the day. Oh, Jesus, sweet Jesus, oh, Jesus, divine... Uh, oh, shoot, now it's jumped out of my head. Oh, Jesus, sweet Jesus, oh, Jesus divine. Oh, I can't, now that's that terrible. Of course, you go blank when you're on the, uh, the in front of a microphone. The point of, of, of but you renew your morning offering that you're going to offer everything to Jesus, okay? That everything that you do, everything you say, everything you think is all going to be offered to him because there's only one thing that you cannot offer to Jesus and that's sin. And we give our, when we give our sins to Jesus, there's a crucifix behind me. That's what that looks like. And so by renewing the morning, by making the morning offering, by renewing the morning offering, that is a way to help you to stay away from sin, to remain single-hearted. All right, the seventh beatitude is blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. When Jesus was born, the angels sang in heaven, right? The heavenly host appeared to the shepherds, singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people of good will. By his death on the cross, uh, our Lord made up for our sins. He brought us the peace of being God's children. He made peace between God and us. He is the Savior of the world, the Prince of Peace. He is the true peacemaker. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, Jesus wants us Likewise, to seek peace. He can make you a peacemaker. He can guide our actions in the way of peace. At the Last Supper, Jesus said to the apostles, Peace is my farewell to you. My peace is my gift to you. But I do not give it as the world gives peace. Jesus gives us uh, the peace that the world cannot give. And his grace helps us to be at peace with God, at peace with ourselves, at peace with the people around us. At every Holy Mass, we pray for peace in the church and in the world. And Christ's peace is not just the absence of conflict. You know, would that people everywhere would live according to his holy laws and, and that we could all love each other in peace. There wouldn't be any conflict. But there never was a time that we needed his peace more than we do right now. And so many, even in this country, are dedicated to fomenting envy and hatred and violence. May Jesus keep us close to him so that we can live in peace as children of God. And then finally, the, the eighth beatitude. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told his apostles that they were going to have to suffer for his sake. He said, you will suffer in the world, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And he gives us the grace to make sacrifices for our faith and to prove our love for him by being willing to suffer to save our soul. More on the 8th Beatitude and later coming up on No Nonsense Catholic, the call to uh, take down images of Jesus and Mary. We'll talk about that and more when we come back. More No Nonsense Catholic after this.
Help the Helpless, a Minnesota St. Paul nonprofit organization chaired by Father of Tear and volunteers, is humbly asking you for your kind support to help the poor and the handicapped children in India and Ecuador. Through financial support from the Help of the Helpless benefactors, the children are provided with clothing, food, education, shelter, and the teachings of the Catholic Church. The mission is to help children thrive and become self-sufficient young adults leading productive lives. We also provide aid to poor families in Ecuador with food baskets, medicines, medical assistance, and help with funeral needs for the deceased. The work in India is done by Father Antonio's organization, St. Mary's. In Ecuador, the work is being done by the Servant Sisters of the Home of Mother. You can call us at 877-762-8857. To learn more, please visit our website, www.helpthehelpless.org. God bless you. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic, talking about the eighth beatitude. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Having the grace to suffer for the kingdom, to be willing to suffer for the church, to be willing to suffer to save our soul. We um, are granted this grace primarily through the sacrament of confirmation, where we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus promises to Help us have courage and to be patient in carrying our cross daily because he has overcome the world. In this beatitude, Jesus, really what he's asking is he's asking us to live for him. And think about it. Jesus gave his life for you. Jesus gave his life for me because he loved us so much. I mean, that thought alone should move us to want you know, to live our life for him as a child of God, as true Christians, to remember also to pray for the many Christians who are suffering for their faith all around the world. Um, you know, China comes immediately to mind, but that is by no means the only place where Catholics are suffering violent persecution right now. You know, may Christ grant them the courage and the strength they need to not be afraid because he's always with them and, and help them to prove their love for him. But persecution of Christians in general and Catholics in particular is ramping up right here at home. 
And may we and those that we love deserve the great reward Jesus promised to those who suffer for his honor because to see him forever in heaven is our greatest reward. But there's more. This last beatitude is like a bookend with the first. You know, uh, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, and this blessed uh, are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. In both cases, it says, for theirs is the kingdom of God, here and now. And in the next verse, Jesus doubles down on that last beatitude. He says, blessed, he makes it personal. It's not blessed are they now, but blessed are you. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward will be great in heaven. Thus, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So suffering, persecution, is itself a participation in the kingdom here and now. And it brings a great reward in heaven. And Jesus compares us to the prophets of old. Uh, I'm afraid that persecution is probably one of the only things that I have in common uh, with the prophets. But, but you know, it, it matters. And long before COVID-19 came along, there was plenty of reason for me to, to constantly bang a drum regarding the truth that suffering is good for us. It is good for the sinner. It is good for the just. Because it gives sinners an opportunity to repent and the just an opportunity for greater merit. Everyone suffers. But Catholics understand the meaning of suffering, that it can be redemptive. And persecution is a special kind of suffering. And persecution for the sake of Jesus is a suffering that is reserved for the faithful. So Jesus says to rejoice in persecution when we're persecuted for his sake. Because there are several benefits to derive from persecution. It takes our eyes off earthly rewards. And we're persecuted for the sake of uh, Christ because you're persecuted just for being Catholic, just for being his follower. It takes your eyes off of, of earthly rewards and puts them onto the heavenly ones. Uh, it strips away superficial faith because that can't you know, stand up under persecution. But at the same time, it strengthens the faith of those who endure. Remember, it was Jesus who said those who persevere to the end will be saved. And then finally, displaying, displaying pardon me, a proper attitude through persecution serves as an example for others to follow. Jesus mentioned the prophets who came before us, and we can take comfort in the fact that the greatest of prophets were persecuted. Elijah, Jeremiah, Daniel. And the very fact that we are being persecuted too proves that we've been faithful. It's an honor to follow the saints who went before us. It's an honor to to understand that we will join them by being received by God into everlasting dwellings where there is no no more persecution, no more suffering uh, of any kind, where every tear is wiped away and where all things are made new. That's, That's the good news. So the Beatitudes, just to sum up, there are well, like five different ways, I guess, to experience the Beatitudes in your life. You can look at it as an ethical code for the true disciples of Christ and kind of a, a standard of conduct for all of his followers. Uh, you can see it as a contrast of the eternal values of the kingdom versus the temporary values of the world. Number three, uh, as a contrast of the superficial faith of the of the Pharisaical, the people who are hypocritical, just... Um, the, the word hypocrite in Greek means actor, 
right? People who are hypocritical or pharisaical, they're actors playing the part of righteous people. And so a contrast between that and the real faith that Christ is demanding of his followers. Uh, You can see it as an example of how the expectations of the old covenant are fulfilled in the new covenant kingdom of Jesus. And finally, like the commandments of God or the precepts of the church, the Beatitudes aren't optional, nor are they multiple choice, you know, take what you like and leave the rest. They have to be taken together as a whole, for they describe what we should be like as followers of Christ, which is a guide to holiness, which is God's will for you, and the key to real happiness, both in this life and in the next. All right, speaking of persecution and the desire to get even and love of neighbor, which includes love of enemies, all those things we talked about, I think it's time for some application. Read an uh, article online on Church Pop, and by the way, I'm going to be talking about a couple of things, and they were, I think they were posted originally on social media, and then they were picked up and put on Church Pop. <clears throat> and in the show notes for this podcast, there will be links so you can check it out for yourself. But this one, um, let's see, it's Black Lives Matter activist calls for destruction of Jesus, Mary, and Saint statues. Priest and exorcist respond, please pray for our churches. Okay, so as we know, uh, over the last several weeks, um, activists have destroyed numerous statues across the country, um, presumably in response to the death of George Floyd. Uh, Here in California, activists tore down two different statues of St. Junipero Serra. Uh, Black Lives Matter activist Sean King has called on social media for the destruction of all white statues and other images of Jesus, Mary, and the Saints, and said in a series of tweets on Twitter to quote-unquote tear them down because they represent white supremacy. Okay, He can't make this stuff up, so I'm just going to read direct. I'm quoting from his tweets. And the nice thing about Church Pop they um, when they post these things, they actually have screenshots of the actual tweets. So uh, King's first tweet reads, quote, I think the statues of white, the white European they claim is Jesus should also come down. They are a form of white supremacy, always have been. In the Bible, when the family of Jesus wanted to hide and blend in, guess where they went? Egypt, not Denmark. Tear them down. He continues in another tweet saying, yes, all murals and stained glass windows of white Jesus and his European mother and their white friends should also come down. They are a gross form of white supremacy created as tools of oppression, racist propaganda. They should all come down. His third tweet reads, quote, if your religion requires Jesus to be a blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus, then your religion is not Christianity, but white supremacy. Christian whiteness, not white Christianity, has been the primary religion of this country for hundreds of years, uh, unquote. Now, of course, this is all deeply offensive, and it's intended to be. Uh, This kind of new barbarism, this new iconoclasm uh, that has grown out of this movement, it started with defacing and demolishing statues of Confederate Civil War heroes. And that alone is, you know, uh, that's reason enough to be 
um, you know, to be suspicious of this movement because those, those monuments are not monuments to racism. They were, in fact, monuments to reconciliation. They were erected precisely to help a nation, uh, to help heal a nation that had been torn apart by a war that literally pitted brother against brother. And that was, you know, like an an attempt at at reconciliation. And to tear them down now uh, is, is comparable to the stripping of Jesus' garments before his crucifixion. Because it is an action meant to open old wounds. It is, it is a provocation meant to stir up hatred uh, and to stir up hatred over something that was meant to heal. Now, <clears throat> a Catholic priest responded to his tweets, Father Bill Peckman of Saints Peter and Paul a Parish in Boonville, Missouri. He said, I quote, God is not concerned about what divisions we human beings like to foster. I am pretty sure that the God who made us with various levels of melanin on our skin never assigned a moral value or level of ability slash intelligence to those levels of melanin. Okay, naturally, I concur. As a Catholic Christian, well, Catholic Christianity, as well as the science of genetics, both hold that the human race descended from a, an original pair of humans. Right? We have a set of first parents that we all share. And as we've been talking about throughout the program, God wants us to treat everyone the same. And he gave the admonition, love your neighbor, a new meaning when he told us, you know, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, oh, by the way, everyone is your neighbor. Now, in the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church, Catholic means universal. The Catholic Church is international. And that international character was found in its very inception on the day of Pentecost, when Peter and the apostles, when he, went, when he preached his sermon and thousands were baptized and everyone heard them in their own language, right? Uh, in the church, according to St. Paul, there is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Okay. More on our response to uh, Mr. King's tweets and uh, the diabolical orientation of uh, much of what's happening in our country. When we come back, Lots more no-nonsense Catholics right after this. Stay with us. Welcome, Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother? Hi, I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy, and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app, and he kept putting me off. So one day, I grabbed his phone, and I downloaded the app for him. I went on vacation, and, you know, I kept telling him to listen to it. He was kind of put me off. I came back from vacation. He comes to my cubicle, and he says to me, Hey, man, I've been listening to Terry and Jesse's show, and it's great. And it's uh, made a big impact in his life. The guy, he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a wow. week. He goes to the Mass in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an on-fire Catholic, and he promotes the Terry and Jesse show on the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Daniel, what a testimony, and I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. 
Lord and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, St. Paul says, So there abide faith, hope, and love, these three. According to St. Ignatius of Antioch, faith is the beginning and love is the end. And God is the two of them brought into unity. Then comes everything else that makes up a Christian. May God grant that we may attain all the virtues that make for authentic followers of His Son. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to the final round here on No Nonsense Catholic. Great to have you along with us. We're talking about uh, the Black Lives Matter activist Sean King calling for white images of Jesus, Mary, and the saints to be torn down. He says... The white European they claim is Jesus should come down. Uh, These images are a form of white supremacy and always have been. Okay, well, let's look at that for a minute. You know, um, in the earliest days of Christianity, there wasn't much in the way of Christian art because we had centuries of persecution. People meeting in private homes or in the catacombs and, you know, uh, celebrating mass on the tombs of the saints and so forth. So what little art from that period remains is typically uh, just symbols or graffiti. Um, later on, when it, uh, you know, it became more acceptable in, in the Roman Empire, uh, it was, um, like I said, you know, the, you know, the, the ichthus fish symbol or the cross. These are, these are symbols, almost like code for Christians to know one another. There was also a, a popular statue um, in the Roman Empire of a youthful shepherd, you know, the Roman tunic and short hair and no beard, carrying a lamb on his shoulders. And Christians kind of used that as a crypto sign for Jesus. But when we got around to actually making art, you know, representations of Christ himself, you know, that goes back. I'm one of the oldest icons uh, of Jesus is the Christ Pantocrator from the 500s. And you would recognize this image and virtually all subsequent images of Christ uh, right up to the modern era follow the pattern that's set in that image. And this is before there was such a thing as Europe to be forcing white supremacy on people, you know, and and it has come to light that this icon is uh, very possibly based. And I, I would say almost certainly based on the image of the shroud of Turin, which, of course, is believed by many to be the very burial cloth of Jesus. It is a miraculous image that dates all the way back to the first century. And there are, are many, many points of congruence between the shroud image and the Jesus Pantocrator. So, you know, it was Thucydides who said, those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. 
You know, people <laughs> kind of do the same stupid thing over and over again, expect a different result, which is one of the classic definitions of insanity. Like going to the refrigerator and discovering that the milk is sour, only to put it back and think, well, maybe it'll be better tomorrow, right? <laughs> people who don't know history get bamboozled. Uh, the popes of the modern era, for example, had a lot to say about how socialism is incompatible with Christianity, and nothing has changed. But college kids are, a lot of them, are, they're pro-socialist, even in Catholic universities, because their professors, who ought to know better, are telling them that real socialism has, has never been tried. Okay, newsflash, it has. And it has universally caused poverty and misery and tyranny. And it begins with agenda-driven people distorting history for their own ends. I recall a number of years ago, I was kind of in between careers after I left the music business and was um, starting a career in magic. I spent a short time managing a mom and pop video store. If you remember those, a video rental place. And uh, the standard wisdom in those days was to play the, you know, the latest movies on the, uh, the, the video screens in the store so people would uh, want to rent them. And, you know, I thought, well, it, people are already fighting over the latest movies. What we should do is put in movies that people haven't seen in a while so they can go, oh, yeah, I remember that. And it was actually a strategy that worked out pretty well. And I would have theme days. I'd do cowboy movies or gangster movies or whatever. And uh, one day I was doing the, these epics, and I had put in Cleopatra. Uh, you know you know Cleopatra with uh, Elizabeth Taylor and, and uh, uh, Richard Burton and Rex Harrison and all that. Um, and then that afternoon, a co-worker of mine, a uh, high school senior, young girl, came in and she said, oh, I hate that movie. And I mean, admittedly, it's, you know, it's kind of cheesy. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Elizabeth Taylor. But I asked her why. And, and she instructed me about how it was racist because Cleopatra was black. Now, I had to ask that girl where she got that idea. And she told me in school. And I said, well, I hope it wasn't in history class <laughs> because that's nonsense. You know, she says, well, she was Egyptian, Egyptian people. Well, of course, you know, again, just because Egypt is in North Africa doesn't mean that Egyptian people are, are black. Besides which, of course, Cleopatra was not an Egyptian at all. Uh, she was a descendant of Ptolemy I or the general of Alexander the Great. Remember, the capital of Egypt was Alexandria. Egypt had, had a, a very Hellenistic culture, as did most of the world uh, by the, you know, uh, first century B.C., Cleopatra came to Rome. I mean, she was uh, uh, having an affair with Julius Caesar. She was in Rome when he was assassinated in 46 BC. And she was the toast of the town. So there are any number of descriptions and images of Cleopatra. And you can see them. You know, I sometimes, and I've seen this happen where somebody takes a, uh, there's a very famous um, Egyptian sculpture of uh, Nefert Nefertiti, I believe. And it's carved of wood, and so people assume that she was the color of the wood. Uh, but it's not, a, it's not a sculpture of Cleopatra at all. <laughs> and Cleopatra um, was actually a, a fair-skinned woman who had, uh, according to her portraits, a, a rather prominent aquiline nose and uh, the, 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 the black bangs and pageboy haircut that uh, Hollywood has perpetuated is also mythological. That's, that's taken from Egyptian hieroglyphics. You know, uh, uh, Cleopatra wore her hair typically in an updo with a bun on the back and curls on either side. And newsflash, uh, apparently, according to the portraits, she was a ginger. 
Now, of course, she might have been wearing a wig. I don't know. I don't have the prayer. But the point is that the idea that Cleopatra was a black woman is just is ahistorical. It's nonsense. And people don't know history, and they get bamboozled. You know, uh, Father Peckman, uh, in his defense, he made another point. He said that the images of Jesus and Mary and the apostles appear in various levels of melanin throughout the ages. In other words, the skin tone on these pictures are you know vary. And Mary, in her various apparitions, looks like a native to the place where she appeared. So Our Lady of Akita, he gives an example, Our Lady of Lourdes, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of Cabejo. And I would also mention Our Lady of Good Help, where she appeared as a, you know, like a Nordic princess with the blonde hair and the blue eyes to the Belgian lady that, uh, that saw that apparition. Now, why is it that the Blessed Virgin would, would look like an Asian or uh, a Mestiza or um, an Italian woman or a white woman? You know, like, what's the deal on that? And I personally, I have just, and this isn't a matter of faith, but just as my own opinion, she has a glorified body like Jesus. And remember, in the, the resurrection accounts, no, nobody ever recognizes Jesus until he does something to, to you know, make himself known to them. And so Mary, I think, it may be that the, one of the properties of the glorified body is that you can't process it when you see it other than to uh, you know, understand it according to whatever is your personal standard for beauty. Because that's the one thing we all agree is that Mary appears and she's always appears as a beautiful uh, woman. So, you know, again, that's just a, uh, an idea. You know, it's just one, one uh, notion. But apparently uh, artists certainly conceive of her that way. They always paint Mary in a way or, you know, make statues or mosaics or whatever in a way that, that represents their culture's greatest standard of beauty. And that's not racism. That is an homage to her immaculate conception, that the artist renders her image as the most beautiful one he can muster, you know, without regard to the, the melanin level. Finally, we have uh, the exorcist and psychologist Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, and uh, he works with the St. Michael Center for Spiritual Renewal. And he wrote on his blog a post called um, America Needs Deliverance. And he said, there are signs in our country of a demonic mentality infecting our communities. And one of the first signs of the demonic is discord. Outbursts of rage, anger, and violence often accompany demonic activity. One sign of this in our country is a steady increase in terrorism. Finally, he says, Satan and his minions think of themselves as victims. And this mentality is increasingly pervasive in the United States. Nevertheless, I believe our country is becoming increasingly demonically oppressed not fully possessed if our country is demonically oppressed then what must be done and he says as with any client who is oppressed we start with closing the doors to the demonic and he invokes the principle of personal sanctity which is precisely what jesus did in the sermon on the mount jesus doesn't tell us what to do about other people and how to fix their lives but how to reform ourselves how to make ourselves more holy. Vatican II not only issued the universal, or I should say reissued, the universal call to holiness, but called upon lay people especially to sanctify the secular order, to make the world outside the four walls of the church holier. And you can't give what you don't have. So it always starts with our personal holiness. And that's what Father says. He says, stop sinning. Stop practicing the occult. And start practicing your faith. Love God. Love the people. 
completely. Judge nobody, left or right, Republican or Democrat, black or white. Pray constantly, invoke the Blessed Virgin, pray that our little prayers and sacrifices be filled with the Spirit and share in the redemptive action of Jesus. That is a Catholic response to any kind of uh, attack or persecution. And he responded particularly to the violent protests. He said, it's important to distinguish between the right and peace, the right to peaceful protest on the one hand and violence. He said, it's also important to distinguish between the movement to end racism, the important movement to end racism, he says, and senseless acts of violence. Historic monuments, he said, are typically government property or other organizations' property, and no one has a right to tear them down without proper due process. He says, while we can understand people's outrage at the killing of George Floyd, mob violence is never condoned. One act of violence does not justify another. We're going right back to Jesus with an eye for an eye and how that was meant to make the punishment fit the crime. You don't take the law into your own hands. These are very simple uh, principles, not always easy, as is so often the case with the teaching of our Lord, but simple, yes. Uh, Historic monuments, uh, didn't Martin Luther King say, he said, hate cannot drive out hate, right? He's paraphrasing our Lord. He said, Satan cannot drive out Satan. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And if people want to change the world for the better, they must love and not hate. The hatred and violence we are experiencing cannot bring about a good end. You know, to come full circle, the reason I bring this up, you know, this uh, about demonic influence on the situation in the country today is to underline the fact that we are to love our neighbor and everybody is our neighbor. We're to treat everyone the same, the way our Lord does. You know, as Catholic Christians, it is our duty first and foremost to imitate Christ and bring his light and love into every situation. Holiness is the best revenge. And I'll leave you with the words of Catholic novelist and poet uh, Leon Blois. He said, The only real sadness, the only real failure, the only great tragedy in life is not to have been a saint. The worst thing is not to commit crimes, but rather not to accomplish the good that one could have done. It is the sin of omission, which is nothing other than to be unloving, and no one accuses himself of it. And that's no nonsense. God bless. Till next time. May God bless you and your family. In the 1990s, I lived and worked in Hollywood. But when my wife Betty's mom took ill, we relocated to Orange County. And it was during this time in our lives that I converted to Catholicism. Once my eyes were open to the truth, I couldn't learn enough about the faith. But I had less free time than ever, especially with a long commute. That's when I discovered the real value of Catholic audio. Listening to cassette tapes transformed my daily commute into a miniature retreat. And that's the beauty of Virgin Most Powerful Radio today. Since the podcasts are archived, you can listen anytime on our smartphone app. I know how listening to Catholic audio can bring you closer to Christ and His Church. So I encourage you to visit the App Store or go to vmpr.org and download the app today. It just might change your life. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.